everyone, and welcome back to Practically Zero Waste, a podcast for making zero waste living as practical as possible. Today, I talk with Garrett Hart, an outdoor educator at Lakefield College School, about their environmental entrepreneurship program. Oh, say that 10 times fast. We talk tapping trees and keeping bees with a whole lot of crazy stories on the side. It's time to connect with the food we eat, so let's get to it. Hi. What I really want to talk about today is environmental entrepreneurship. Before we jump into all of those topics, brief summary of your role here at Lakefield College School. Okay, I'm my name is Garrett Hart. I've been at Lakefield College for 17 years now. So I work in the uh, outdoor education faculty. So I'm basically an instructor assistant. So if we're outside doing all the fun stuff, climbing canoeing, camping, anything that's outside the classroom. We have a, a lower staff to student ratio. And so I'm the extra guy. So I go out and, and help teach canoeing and help teach some of those hard skills uh, along with the classroom teacher. And then added to that, I've sort of helped develop uh, a maple syrup program at the school. We now have an apiary, so a honeybee program, help groom the ski trails, our Nordic ski trails in the winter, drive the Zamboni on our rink, teach sailing and windsurfing, coach our snowboard uh, racing team, and coach, sort of run the rugby program. That's insane. Yeah. How do you, you, you don't have yeah. time for all of it, but you do have time. You make time for all of it's, these incredible interests. A lot of it's, yeah, a lot of it's seasonal. So it's, sure, it's, yeah. in, it's intense in the moment and then it's these sort of chunks of six to 12 weeks. And then, <laughs> so it's like, you just go from one crazy to the next crazy. It's right. not like all the crazies are at the same time. Right? That's fair. So, That's true. Interestingly, I've learned that honey bee season begins literally the day that maple season finishes. So right. Maple trees are the first thing to bud in the forest. It's the first thing the bees go to. So the day the trees bud, we can no longer harvest sap. And then we start on honeybees. <laughs> That's where we want to start. That's where we want to start. Okay. I want to talk to you about maple syrup okay. and honeybees here yeah. at LCS because of the involvement of the students. So yeah. they get to learn where maple syrup and where honey is coming from. And they get to take part in yeah. processing that and gathering that. What yeah. are, I, don't know, I don't even know what words to use. Yeah. So... So, Start off with that. So basically, uh, the quick history is this place has always had maple syrup. Sugar maple and red maple, which are our two best species for maple production, are you know a native to this area. There's a history of it at the Grove um, and some funny stories where I have this great picture with this fellow Bill Amos taken in the 40s as he was a student with two of his buddies and they used to get put on maple syrup duty. <laughs> so if you were naughty or Miss Chapel or didn't uh, <laughs> clean your room, while your buddies went into town on Saturday, you would go and sit with a pile of wood and an axe and a couple of buckets and you would go and collect all the sap and you weren't allowed to go and leave until you had two, they had these silver pitchers that were like a gallon pitcher, right? And that was enough to get them through the Sunday brunch. Oh my God. So you were not allowed to leave until you had the syrup for Sunday brunch. So, so if you, you worked to... hard, you could get it done in, you know, eight or 10 hours. And if it was... If you screwed around, it was two days worth of work, sort of thing. So, Jeez, that's a yeah. big punishment. Yeah, this is so. This is back in the you know the good old days of boarding school. <laughs> um, 
Then there's a, in the 80s, Bill Ambler. He was the guy who made maple syrup here. And he was talking to the boys who were here in the 80s. Quite funny, where he would all, he'd be teaching physics class or whatever it was he was teaching. And he'd all of a sudden be like, okay, so today's lesson will be uh, maple syrup 101. And they would just leave the class and he'd have them all out scattered in the woods collecting pails. And That's great. Instead of doing their homework. And, and they, they certainly remember that. And yeah. then when I got here, my first recollection of it was I had a, a big dog when I was first arrived here and we were out for a walk in the woods and I came through what is now the ropes course and there was just kind of like this low haze in the ropes course and smell of smoke so you kind of wondered if somebody had a fire going somewhere and then there was this like really distinct maple smell mm. and so it's just amazing wood smoke and maple and the whole oh, thing yeah. couldn't figure out where it was coming from so I sort of followed this back towards the back of the Colebrook houses and there was this fellow, Ken Sunderland, who was this amazing teacher and head of house and physics teacher, seventh smartest man in Canada. That's a whole other story. And he was sitting sitting in this lawn chair, big yellow puffy down jacket on, reading the American Association of Physicists journal and just being like enthralled. And in this little shed beside his big white Yamaha motorcycle was this evaporator that just, you know, and this was kind of his weekend project, right? He would just... <laughs> gather the sap and on the weekends he would just boil it all weekend and then you know Sunday night he'd stop and then he'd start it again the next weekend and wow he would just he only had about 20 trees tapped and he would just make enough for his family and to give away his gifts and so he kind of got me sparked on the idea so how do you make how do you make syrup so the process around here is, is fairly easy in terms of uh, our trees are really very much located around the ring road that goes around the school so we do have a few pockets of trees that are off the trail, but for the most part, most of our trees are within three to five meters of the road. Hmm. What we do is this time of year, um, when it's still cold, or just as we're sort of getting to those first warm days uh, in the spring, we go out and we tap the trees. So it's a small 7 sixteenths inch drill bit. We drill into the tree only about two to three centimeters into the sapwood, which is the, the outer rings of the wood, right? Cool. So... This is where the xylem and phloem that are in the tree are transporting water and nutrients. They're stored in the and, and sucrose, glucose, all of the sugars in the, the roots. It's stored there over winter. And then now it's being drawn up into the tree to the ends of the branches to allow that energy to produce leaves and, and bud, right? So that is so cool. <laughs> it's amazing, right? So the process there, it's it's they've studied it and studied it. And what they think is really at a sort of micro level, if you think of billions and billions of cells in a tree, when things get cold, everything contracts. And then as it warms up, it sort of expands. And that expansion creates some sort of a vacuum that then pulls this liquid up from the roots during the daytime. And then when it gets to a certain point, as it as it warms, it's it's drawn it's expanding in the silent foam it's being drawn up and then as soon as it gets cold again it stops so it's not like a continuous flow so what we're looking for are those days where it gets above zero during the daytime and below zero at night there has to be that differential otherwise it won't run and our ideal is about five degrees uh, plus five degrees bright sunny no wind during the day minus five or six degrees cold still at night yeah and that produces the, the best differential and we get the best flow on those days so what we're doing is we tap into the trees with this uh with a drill and it's only a few centimeters two two and a half three centimeters max oh. so you're just going into that sapwood the you think of that as like the 
where the veins of the tree are and the internal structure is like more like the spine of the tree. I right? literally was picturing it shooting like in a big column yeah. up the center of the tree. <laughs> no, little micro microtubules all around the external edge of the, wow. the tree just inside the bark. And we use a thing called a spile. So now they're a little plastic spout that uh, has a little hole in the end and a tube that comes out of the tree um, and a little hook to hang a bucket on. Literally, literally on a on a warm day when you drill in before you can get the drill out, the sap is like pushing wow. out the out the hole. Very sticky right? drill at yeah. the end of the day. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So the whole process is a bit of a sticky nightmare. But um, <laughs> so yeah, so we tap the tree, we put in this little thing called the spile, hang a bucket from it, uh, put a lid on to keep primarily to keep snow and rain from going in and further diluting that sap right, right. um that's the the most part it does keep out sort of bugs and squirrels and things like that uh keeps out little hands that like to stick in and taste yeah. the sap but primarily it's to keep the water out and we hang so we have about about 200 taps right now wow. so on larger trees we will tap some two sometimes three on really our biggest trees will put three taps in but wow. never more than three okay Commercially, they may put as many as four or five taps on a tree, but Ridiculous. We're, we're not trying to, you know, make kill a living at this or kill the trees. So what would kill the tree? Um, Does it depend on the size? Yeah. So we actually, what we're using now is called a health spile, um, which is this finer gauged. So if you imagine it like for yourself, think of yourself getting a, a needle, right? You want a fairly fine gauge needle, Jeez. right? So it doesn't hurt as much. Just keep thinking of my epidural. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Right in the spine. Um, <laughs> but this is, so the 5 sixteenths, we used to use, is it 5 eighths? No, no. Super small. Super, yeah. And now, anyways, the new ones are, are 7 sixteenths. They're, they're definitely small, like noticeably smaller. The, the reason they went to the smaller one is we still get about the same yield from the tap they found, mm -hmm. but this hole will now close up in one growing season. So oh. when we pull that tap in late March, early April, if you come back in October, that hole is mostly sealed up. Okay. Right. Well, that's really So that's helpful. the old ones that we used to were a bit bigger. They would take almost two full growing seasons. Wow. So we, we want that tree to heal up as quickly as we can. Okay. And if you go out and look at the trees around, you'll see on the maples, you'll see the old round holes from, right, from yeah. past. And then as the tree continues to expand out, you know, those just get sort of swallowed up yeah. in the inner structure of the tree, right? Wow. As they get bigger and bigger. Okay. So we, we hang the buckets for the most part. We do have a couple of pipelines, which is what you'd see commercially now, which is a way of tapping into trees and drawing the sap to a central pipeline and then having one collection point. Wow. Rather than us having to go around to every single tree and grab a pail. How do those not get clogged because it's full of sticky syrup? Yep. So the sap is only 3% sugar coming out of the tree. Oh. So it is sticky, but it is it is not thick or viscous, it's right? Like so corn syrup. Yeah. yeah, no. Or maple all. syrup. Sorry. So it, <laughs> it moves along quite well. We do want to make sure that we are cleaning the, the stuff at the end of the year, but yeah, there's not a problem with it getting right. hung up. What it will do in the pipeline is freeze. So if it, if you have an all of a sudden a snap know. freeze, yeah. you got to wait for it to sort of really thaw out before it starts to flow again, okay. which is a disadvantage to the lines whereas a bucket You've only got to thaw out that little two to three centimeter yeah. spile, right? And yeah. then it'll start flowing again. So in we, that situation, could you just pop off the tubes of the pipeline and hang a bucket? Or you could, but it's, yeah, just don't bother. I mean, for what for what this operation yeah. is doing, it's pretty low. Yeah. And what, so what the other what the commercial guys will do is they will actually have a vacuum pump on it. 
So they they can actually now with the, they have the technology where they can actually draw from about a kilometer away. So they everything gets fed into a central pipeline. It's all vacuum sealed, and so at the end of the day, when the flow stops, so that differential between positive and negative when we so it's gotten plus five during the day mm -hmm. starts to get colder and colder when it gets to zero mm -hmm. literally it's like somebody has turned off the taps <laughs> so it's drip 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 done yeah it's done for the night so the commercial guys at that point will have the vacuums and they will suck as much as they can out of the pipeline so that there isn't any place for it to freeze right, right? yeah what amount is okay to take from a tree yeah. for it to still prosper throughout the year yeah so basically what they they we gauge it on is the diameter of the tree okay so 15 inches is one uh one tap hmm. um, and then adding about six inches in diameter adds an additional tap okay so you know with some of the big maples out here that are this big like you right. could probably put six seven taps on them right. and it would have no discernible effect on the tree okay like giving blood, you know, there's all there's, right. there's lots right. right there. Because it's always producing more. Yeah. Okay. So you so you're not worried about that. What people will do if they're, for example, if they're going to harvest timber like maple, lumber from wood. a woodlot, they might put six or eight around smaller trees and just like suck them dry, suck the track, right? Uh, Get everything you can out of it. But yeah. we try to keep it down to two taps maximum. Okay. Um, which just helps the health of the tree. So basically, collecting sap, we. We have pipelines, we use buckets because we have a fairly available indentured servitude force uh, who can go and... Uh, <laughs> free labor. Yeah, free labor to, to go and collect for these 200 buckets. They're uh, Until they leave for March break. And then we... Uh, right. And then sort of myself and other staff take it on over that, that time. But what we do is we incorporate it into the outdoor education classes. So okay. most of the grade 9 and 10 classes will have um, sort of a double period where we talk about sort of the history of maple syrup at the school. We take them outside and we actually teach them how to identify a maple tree. So through the bark, the structure of the branches, looking at uh, often there's still leaves attached to the trees. But for the uh, most part, the leaves are gone. Be, so I was thinking, oh, yeah. you just look at the leaves, but it's winter time. Mostly bark, mostly leaf structure. There's some lichen that tends to grow on, the yellow lichen that tends to grow on maples in this area. So there's a few sort of tip-offs and then generally what they do is just look at all the other old holes right. and, you know so they can I mean, verify that it's there yeah so they go out and then we tap a couple trees with them we do a mo most of the tapping with just the staff do it and then uh they all all the classes get to see sort of what happens and so if we can get a day where it's a bit sunny and they can go out and sort of see that like as it you know <laughs> comes out of the the hole immediately after you drill it, it yeah. that's kind of fun and then we basically put them to work so they go around and help collect in one of sort of the areas around and then their reward is we take them down to the sugar shack and sort of explain it's a it's a super simple process but it's a really neat in terms of the science behind it so we use a gravity fed holding tank that goes into a float control as the sap evaporates the float releases a small trickle of sap into the, the evaporating pan. The evaporating pan is a special corrugated bottom to increase sur surface area. We use a hydrometer to measure a specific density, and we have a, a spectrometer to me measure uh, refracted light through the through it. Uh, we have a thermometer so you can tell as the temperature, as the sugar concentration rises, the boiling point rises. So we can measure as we're getting close to. The end product the thermometer will sort of give us the indication when we're getting close and then we can use a hydrometer to get it 
specifically to where we need it to be for syrup. So it's so it's, there's Whoosh. yeah. So there's, it's great. So you can take these kids in and they think it's just you know sticky sweet stuff, and we can it sort of incorporate where the science is behind it. And then this year we have this whole new technology. So really generous donation from an alumni who has given us uh, the funds to buy a reverse osmosis machine. The process is basically what we're trying to do is take this sugar from three percent in the sap. Mm -hmm. to 66.6% .6 sugar in the syrup. So it's 66%. And then the rest is water? Or <laughs> it's water. What? Okay. Yeah. At 66%, it's basically inert. So it's like jam, right? <laughs> like this is why you put sugar in jam, right? Because yeah. that sugar preserves Makes what's there. Yeah. So maple syrup, if you had it in a cupboard for 100 years and took it off the shelf, as long as the bottle's clean, when you when you package it, like it'll still be completely preserved, right? It'll be ready to go. Will it be crystallized? So, if it's at sixty six percent, it's also stable as a liquid at that point. If you overboil it slightly, mm -hmm. then that's where you'll get the seed crystals form in it, and you'll get these big chunky square crystals in the bottom of maple syrup, which you often get if you buy, you know, the farmers commercial. market maple syrup and oh, stuff okay. like that. So that means it's just overboiled a little bit. It might might be like 70%, so it's not a lot. And, no. in, the, and in the process of making it, you know, if you just kind of miss that window or it boils a little longer than you want it to, you can, it's not too hard to overboil. Sometimes, if it's a little bit runny, that the test for that, if you put your maple syrup in the freezer and you get ice crystals in it, yeah. then that means it's underboiled. underboiled. So huh, it's, because there's still it's a little water bit watery. Okay, yeah. that's so neat. So 66.6% .6 is this perfect fusion of water and sugar it gives us that that delicious, texture delicious. and that's all that sort of thing right yeah the kids are involved in tapping the trees and kind yeah. of getting to see that how the sap is processed into maple syrup yeah do they get to do much of that or is that just kind of observing yeah so the idea for them is that we we try to get them to actually go down and if um if people are available we'll get them to help with the um you know, through that process, loading up the hopper. Our, our evaporator is great. It's, uh, it is kind of a Cadillac of evaporator. So it has a lot of automated features that okay. allow it to sort of self-regulate the, the levels in the, in the pans fancy. and that sort of thing. Very fancy, very fancy. So we can kind of walk away from it. So if like, we're okay. teaching a class, we can walk away for an hour and then like come back and things are still chugging right along. Yeah, like the little sugar shack hasn't burned down. Exactly. Away. Or the fire's gone out and you've just like, oh, okay. lost the boil kind of thing, right? right. So we're propane driven. Okay. Basically this new technology that we've got the the reverse osmosis, what it does is uses a mechanical filter. So the sap is pressed into a tube that has this filter in it. Filter is as a fine enough membrane that the sugar molecules uh, are unable to penetrate through. So wow. they bounce back into the stream, but water is pressed through the filter. Wow. So then the water is harvested on the outside, right? There's these guys in Quebec that have brilliant, you know, marketers who are now selling that water yeah, which used I've to be that. just like thrown down the drain that was just wastewater look now zero you, waste you put it into a <laughs> fancy bottle yeah and you sell it it's maple as water. maple water how refreshing you know uh filtered by the forests of ontario <laughs> you know like this is the whole story behind it right but Basically, they take that water um, and then we reuse it for washing out the filter and stuff later. But yeah. what that will do is get our concentration up to as high as 50% sugar okay. before we boil. Okay. So right away, you're saving time, yeah. propane, yeah. Um, all of that. Um, the resource is way more efficient. And so we're hoping that this is, is sort of what we need to 
make us more productive. Right now we're spending ridiculously long hours in the sugar shack and we actually sort of, this conversation came around because I was chatting with the guy we buy our stuff from and he was asking if we had a new evaporator yet and I said, no, how many taps? 200. He kind of looked at me like I was crazy and then he showed me in the catalog that our ta- the evaporator we have is rated for 25 to 50 taps. So he was joking, like, are you spending a lot of late nights in the sugar shack? I'm like, yes, 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 yes. So (laughs) that's the idea was rather get a bigger evaporator, which doesn't really exist in the propane world. Like it's just not really efficient. You'd have to go wood fire and then we're in sparks and fire and chopping wood and all that stuff. And students involved. It gets a little dicey. Lots Uh, of forms having to be signed. Not the good old days where you you could just throw them out there and make them do it but <laughs> so they're involved throughout the process and then if a batch is ready and we can get some guys down to help bottling yeah uh, then they'll do the bottling with us it's boiled until we get to 66 percent, so then it goes through two sets of filters to wow. take out any of the fine particulate matter that may end up in there it comes out clear goes into a huge uh, old stainless steel coffee urn so that we can maintain a consistent temperature okay. you have to package it at a certain temperature all right what do you do when with the package stuff you guys... We sell it at the school store. Okay. So the idea is that it continues, it sort of completes the loop so that yeah. the cost of the propane and the bottles and just general maintenance stuff and all that Made is sort back. of recovered yeah. by the program. So the program shouldn't be pulling money out of other program areas. It's sort of self-reliant. Yeah. Are they involved in the marketing and sales of that at all? Do you yeah. ever take so, it to the market on the weekend? or That's where we want to evolve to. Right, um, right now, most of the sales happen at uh, Regatta Day, which is our big parent and day in the spring, um, and then fall fair in, in September or early October. And then we have, parent, we have students helping sell, and, and hopefully with their time in OE and maybe helping out a few other times, they can sort of tell the story, right? Mm-hmm. They, they know these little stories about maple syrup at Lakefield and how it's made yeah. and they helped out and, and parents are very generous and buy, you know, buy the case to take back to Germany or Because it's Hong friggin' Kong. delicious. It's delicious and, and it's just, it's a treat. And they, you know, hand it out and say like, little Mine. Johnny helped make this, right? <laughs> so it's kind of neat that way. So what has that done for students in terms of valuing food yeah I, I think it's in particular our population of students you know we have a lot of kids that have never cooked they've yep. never really produced anything like that okay. food is something that's put on a table in front of you and mm-hmm. so um, to see where that comes from must be a whole different story for it's them. quite bizarre like they're yeah. quite taken aback and, and I would say in all honesty we often talk about this that our initial foray into this was really we thought to educate international kids about this is like the great piece of Canadiana, right? Maple syrup. You would, you would be absolutely shocked at the number of people that Canadian kids that, that literally will say, Oh, I thought you just took your pancake to the tree and like you pulled it like, and then the syrup came out of the tree (laughs) and they have such a disconnection to how it actually, the process that it goes through. And then it kind of makes sense like, Oh, well that's why it's $20 a liter. It's more expensive than gasoline. Like it's, yeah. Okay, now I, you know I kind of get it, right? I think it's important for them to see that process and, and I think what where we want to evolve it to is where the kids right now it's very staff driven and student participation. What yeah. we want it to be is student driven, right? And so the 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 genesis of this came from Mike Arsenault who really wanted to see the opportunity to have a environmental entrepreneurship class is what he would call it. Cool. Um, I want to get into that. Tell me what that is. So the idea is allowing kids, and this is really stolen from sort of the Montessori model. Yeah. Um, So their, their whole idea in their, 
um, middle school programming is looking at microeconomies. So the kids are involved in raising chickens and selling eggs or doing, Can you do that at like the yeah, college school or, too? That might be phase three. So yes. Got, okay. Back got to maple me. and honey and then maybe chickens and okay. then some other stuff. Go on. But the idea is to take things from the sort of conception stage and um, and manage a resource appropriately. So some kid's going to come and say, well, why don't we put 45 taps on each tree and just like we'll make our millions in, and in one year and we're done. Right. Um, so it's about them learning about the management, the sustainability, the management of the resource, yep. then the harvesting of the resource, the production of the product, the packaging, the, the distribution. The 45 taps on one tree yeah. would be. And, yeah, and all this, great, you've got this glut of maple syrup, of sap, you know, what do you do with it? What if you can't process it quickly enough? Which yeah. is kind of like where we are right now, before this reverse osmosis thing came along. The genesis for the environmental entrepreneurship started with the maple we have that program it's part it's of the, the part school. of the history of the school yeah and it's part of what we do and it, it's when did bees come in two years ago over a keg of beer in the heads residence mm -hmm. again a whole other story um <laughs> i got chatting with guy mclean who was an interim head for here for a year and we got talking and he sort of said like i don't understand you guys have 100 acres here i don't understand why you guys don't have bees and i said i have put in several proposals to have bees and he was well, let's do it. We're going to do it. But the deal is, this is literally the, the Friday before March break. <laughs> and he said, the deal is that bees have to be here by June mm. before the kids leave. If they're not here, then you're going to pay for these bees. So you figure it out. And if you right. think you can make it work. So what does that look like? What does having bees on this property and processing all the honey yeah. and everything like that? So it was a huge learning curve. And luckily we had a, a young fellow who was on staff who was a nurse. And he, uh, Dan Barnhorn was his name, amazing guy. And he had been beekeeping for a while. So he was the mentor, right? Cool. So he's basically... He created the shopping list and yeah. was like, here's what we're going to need to get going. We're going to start with five hives. We're going to buy this equipment and, you know, these suits and this smoker and wow. put it all together. And then actually went with us to get our first load of bees, which was terrifying, but also really exciting. It was hilarious at a lot of levels. Again, uh, lots <laughs> of good stories, but like we almost hit a deer on the way back and like the hives all fell apart in the back of the the u-haul and we had like a swarm of bees on the side of the highway at 12 30 at night like it was again it's another story but Terrifying. it is it was just all part of the, the lore it seems with everything that goes on here and so the first year was a huge learning process we were doing fairly well and we got to the point of the harvest and dan had left by that point and so he kind of like got me going and then was like okay pal yeah see ya. here's a couple books good luck so anyways, I went to go do the harvest that year. I'd been a bit boastful because I thought I'd been out lifting the hives. They were incredibly heavy, packed with honey. I had tried to figure out how to use these things called a, a Quebec bee escape, which is a way of moving the bees away from the honey and down into the hive and then mm. leaving, hopefully, the honey supers where the which is the honey that you're going to collect free of bees and basically in all the videos you just kind of drive your truck up you pick these things up because all the bees are now down, down in the lower hive <laughs> what it doesn't mention is that you have to cover off the vent hole totally didn't do that Block all the exits. left them left it for three days oh, uh, came back no. with my buddy um andrew johnson <laughs> on campus and i'd be you know bragging to him about hey, you better be careful these things are so heavy you're going to break your back sort of thing and he went and lifted the first hive. Well, we noticed a very odd sort of swarming around the tops of the hives when we got there. And we lifted the lids off and looked in and literally it was like gang warfare. So the swarm was the honeybees were, were trying to figure out how to get back in to protect their honey. Yeah. 
what was in the hive was all the wasps, hornets, other bees, beetles, everything that had found the vent hole. From nature. That and had, just come, had come in and were robbing the hive. Bunch of jerks. So in three days, we Aww. figure we went from 250, 300 pounds of honey to 26 pounds of honey. So was our harvest for the first year. <laughs> and so we had already made this commitment that we were going to have jars of honey for all the board of trustees. And so that went from like 150 people getting like a half liter of honey to scraping the inside of yeah. the, the bucket to get like 150 little tiny like <laughs> one piece of toast, yeah. you know, jars. Of... That's amazing. But, but so that program, we again, we sort of took a year to sort of figure it out and develop it. And then last year we had the kids helping at the beginning, sort of doing... There's a whole bunch of steps that need to happen in For terms sure. of bee treatments and going out and just checking on the bees regularly and making sure the queens are doing what they need to do. They're just a fascinating, stunning species to Absolutely. work with. Always fascinated. I, I you know, just seem to be endlessly reading about it and you learn something new. You learn something new all the time and also you come to know, come to realize that if you've got 10 beekeepers in a room and ask them a question, they'd have 12 different answers, right? <laughs> the best advice I ever got was from a, a, a fellow, Dave, who runs Wren Lane uh, Honey here in Lakefield. And he said, it's going to take you five years to figure out your bees. Yeah. You're going to lose a ton. You have some great years. Some hives are going to make more honey than you can, won't be able to figure out why. And then after five years, you'll, you'll get it a flow and you'll yeah. kind of figure it out. But that's the same with so many of these huge endeavors like yeah. this. With everything, right? Yeah. So, what is the way that you extract the honey from the hive? It's it's great. And are the students pretty involved in that too? Yeah. So this year they were, full, like the first year they weren't. We no, kind of were trying yeah, to figure it out. you were trying to figure it out. But... The second year, so basically what um, what we do is we go up and now we, we didn't use the bee escapes this year. We actually used fans to blow the bees out of the, the, the honey supers. So you just pull them apart and, brrr, and blow the bees into some grass and then keep some supers in the bottom and they climb back in and you put them back on the, on the hive. Kids came out and helped us. They had the, the fans were blowing the bees off. Yeah, and big all suit. suited up and ready yeah. to go. And then we brought it back and then we have a big hand-cranked extractor. So cool. the frames go in. We use a, a knife to cut off the uh, wax that's capping the honey. Spin them for hmm. about five minutes. It throws all the honey against the side and then it's just sort of this wall of honey going down the mm -hmm. side and then to the bottom. And in a good year, you'll collect about 100 pounds of honey per hive. Jeez. So they're incredibly productive. The number of trips, like thousand trips a day. Each bee, worker bee, foraging bee, can touch up to a thousand flowers in one day, taking okay. nectar and pollen from each of those flowers. And then when, and basically they store it on their body. They have a, a honey stomach and then they have these pockets for pollen. And basically they get to the point where they can barely fly. <laughs> and then they return to the, the hive, alert all the other bees, this is what I found. And then other bees will follow it back out. And they'll just go till they've depleted that resource. Wow. And they'll go out looking for another one. So they're producing heaps and heaps. And yeah. if we take 100 pounds of honey from a hive, yeah. do they have enough to... Yeah. So basically what happens is you've got two boxes that are the colony for the hive. And you've got a queen excluder. So the, the working, functioning part of the hive is these two boxes. The way bees work is once they get too tight in space, they swarm. And that's their natural way of redistribution. So... The queen senses there's not enough space left. She stops eating for a while, so she slims down a little bit so she can fly. And then she stops laying eggs, and then she just takes 
50% of the bees with her and just and leaves. The remaining bees will sense that she's gone because the pheromone that she produces is no longer available and they don't sense it. And then they will actually go through the process of creating a new queen cell or multiple queen cells and rearing a new queen. That queen then goes off and goes out looking for a new space to, to start a new hive. Basically what we're constantly doing in beekeeping is trying to give them just enough space that they feel like they're productive and they're filling up space and they've, okay. they've got room. But you don't want to give them too much space because they like kind of that, a bit of a cloistered environment, okay. right? So you... Yin and yang of trying yeah. to figure out, like, don't give them too much space, but also, like, so... don't let them get too full and start to leave. Right, so you're always removing some yeah. throughout the whole season. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can do it that way, or people just add another box. Just oh. keep adding boxes, adding boxes, right. adding boxes. Generally, especially the commercial guys will try to do one big harvest at the end because it just it's a sticky so gooey mess. Yeah. So you don't want to necessarily be Yeah, you guys are like into the sticky products. It's that you all can make. yeah. <laughs> Sweet, sugary craziness. Oh, that's a late field for you. Yeah. But the nice thing is, like I said earlier, the maple syrup is a really intense six or eight weeks. Like mm -hmm. you're on and it's late nights and the whole thing. And it literally finishes as the trees start to go to bud, the sap changes and we can no longer harvest the sap anymore. Um, what changes about it is the chemical composition will change it because now when the trees bud they want more of, of the minerals to help actually produce the leaf okay right like once that once the bud is formed now the leaves need to grow yeah. and so what happens the sap goes from this beautiful clear color to like a bright yellow it looks like it looks like urine it looks like somebody's peed in the buckets Great. at that point we Throw pour the bucket out pull the spile out and it, that, that tap over. that tap is done wow. and it might take a week and a half or two weeks till all of them start to change right. but once that happens we're done and then the bee season is right after and then that the bee season literally starts the next day but the nice thing for that is that it's probably about the same amount of work rather than six or eight weeks it's spread from april till october oh wow so it's like you go out to see the bees once a week and just yeah. make sure you know look in a couple of hives make sure everything's sort of working make sure there's no problems no uh, students are here during the summer. Yeah. So that's just July that's and August. Just, that's me. So yeah. I sort of covered off then. But they get to be here at the beginning time when we're doing all the prep stuff. Yeah, and... Prep and what we call splits. So we're mm -hmm. actually taking that hive and we're artificially creating a swarm. So they can be here to help us sort of with that process. The summer is just the gathering and collecting. Yeah. At the end with the harvest, the kids are back so that they can help with that's the best part. The collecting and all that sort of stuff. Now we're starting to stockpile like beeswax. So now we're gonna have a staff and hopefully a student like Sunday afternoon like come and make lip balm and uh, some beeswax candles and stuff like that yeah. with the beeswax from their that's amazing their hives yeah that's so great so that they get to see what to do with the quote-unquote waste yeah. of making honey yeah. you use the beeswax the byproducts um, so i'll get yeah. like a hundred percent of the it maple water to, yeah you can sell that in your fancy gift shop yeah like, <laughs> like all of that sort of stuff like i think it's about the marketing it's you know obviously there's a business angle to all of it but it's also resource management right so the students that are participating in these programs is there a push for the whole school mm -hmm. to be more aware of food waste and issues around the environment now that they know how much work goes yeah. into creating these products for something that's so simple and so everyday to yeah. us as honey or maple syrup maybe in Canada it's really everyday is there a greater emphasis on don't throw out that leftover bit of stuff we have a program at the school called LEAF so Lakefield Environmental Action Force Cool. And so that's a school-based, like student-based, staff-supported club at the school. You know, there's always a core group of kids that realize that they're pretty lucky in what they get here. And there is, you no, know, there can be a little bit of excess at times. And then they 
they're the ones that sort of bring some of these ideas to the forefront. So when we get around Earth Day, we will have things like 100-mile meals and looking at food waste and yeah. trying to sort of bring some of that awareness, awareness to yeah. the student body. Is there any sort of composting that oh, happens? A, yeah, so there's a huge composter. Tell so, me about composting here. So we have an industrial-sized composter, so all of the food waste from the dining hall is okay. composted. Originally, the main intent was to reduce the garbage. Garbage, that's going out. Yeah, yeah, the waste, because we pay by the pound or by Good. mass. When you're when you're paying that, <laughs> anything yeah. you can do to divert that, right? Yeah, I feel like everywhere should have to pay for garbage. Well, it's up. it's coming. It's it's starting to come, right? Like and and, and composting. Not to make it inaccessible. For, yeah. I, whatever. I know. I know that not everyone can afford to have their garbage picked up if it's yeah. expensive, and not everyone can compost because they live in an apartment or whatever. Yeah. But. But I think I think municipally and it's certainly institutionally like there's yes. a huge push to for yeah. people to be able to to compost where we haven't quite closed the loop on it is we do compost what do you do with it and then what do we do with it where Garden. does it go and, and that's it sell it, it. And, and, and that <laughs> this composter that we have is a huge cylindrical stainless contraption that like rotates and heats and allows wow. it so it sort of gets to half or two-thirds of the way to like usable compost yeah. so it actually has to go out and be like dried and turned and stuff yeah. like that and we we're not there yet yeah right so it's it, totally it, fair it yeah. basically goes out and it goes into our green waste dump yeah and the hope is that at some point we can finish it properly and then use it in gardens as a mulch and stuff like that can we're, i come in the springtime and get some compost for my garden as, if you tell them they will give you as much as you want oh my gosh i'm so excited but it's like <laughs> It is, it is the sort of thing where like I, I will get it for my garden and I get it two or three big bags of it in the uh, late fall yeah. and dig it in because it smells terrible. Like it's not properly, yeah. you know, compost isn't compost pretty. Yet. But by the time you get to planting in May, like yeah. it's it there and it's good to go. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So, uh, and again, like the impetus for that was really cost reduction in, in waste removal. Yeah. But I mean tons of side benefits as we as we sort of move to it you know i could see if we spawn this uh environmental entrepreneurship program like that could be part of it right they could have maple you could have honey you could look at chickens you could look at you know selling bagged compost you could look at you know one of the other things we're talking about is goats uh because goats eat <laughs> poison awesome. ivy right what and uh we were at a and school that doesn't bother them no nope, we were at a, at a school goats are weird and in, amazing uh, the Hershey School, Hershey Montessori School outside Cleveland, where they have a program for kids that are a little, you know, need a little bit of downtime away from everybody else. Yeah. They go and walk the goats. Goat and they just therapy. have them walk down the trail, <laughs> herd these goats, and they take this big red sign and they go as far as they can. And when they're done, they put the sign in and the next time you know where to start. That's amazing. The goats go two or three feet on either side of the trail yeah. and they eat all the poison ivy. And they can process it somehow, right? And they just keep doing that. And they said, you know, it's taken two or three years, but all of a sudden at that point, like the noticeably less poison ivy and trails more usable and all that sort of thing, right? It's all so clever and it just makes so much sense to let nature run nature and not have so much human interference. And it's just so great. I know that we have to be here on this planet. We're already here, so we might as well enjoy it. But like, let's not do too much damage, people. This is great. Along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So is there a way that the community can get involved and and offer support for this program? And maybe how would you recommend other high schools kind of start programs that are similar? The interesting thing is that we've already gotten a couple calls. Uh, The bee community, a really open and embracing sort of community right so as soon as i people found out that we were doing it here tons of support and then i've actually got two or three other 
people at high schools that have now contacted me saying like, how did you do it? How's it working? How'd you get around administration? How'd you get around people being f- afraid of the bees? Like how'd you, all those how'd you, forms, how'd you yeah. figure this all out? And so it, it's, it's great. It started some conversations along those lines. I think that we're at the stage where we're, we're on the verge of being able to roll some of this out to the broader Lakefield and Peterborough community. Cool. But right now it's pretty, it's pretty much yeah. an in-house thing, right? That's it's fun. as we sort of figure out where we're going with it. There's, and it's school. the staff time too. Like how much stuff? Yeah. You, so like your the, list at the beginning of the yeah. ten thousand things you do. Yeah. Like this so is just one of them. This, so. as often happens at independent schools, it, it, stuff starts out of somebody's passion. Yeah. Whether it's your Nordic ski program or your climbing program or your kayaking program, club. windsurfing, is because you've got a couple of staff that this is their this is their thing, and they want to share that with students that are there so this was my thing my maple syrup and, and honey and so the hope is that if we can sort of get this embedded more from a program point of view that this will be something you know like when i retire that it, it doesn't just fade because yeah I'm because gone, they don't have right? someone to do yeah. all that work so wow. that's all all in sort of the mix right now as we sort of figure out and go forward good luck with everything yeah, and i will be back in a couple weeks to yeah. tap trees and go around and collect buckets with you and yeah. I'll be back in the springtime again to yeah. <laughs> get my compost. <laughs> yeah. hey, come and see the bees, right? Yeah. Because that's a fun one too. I think um, I read this great book written by this woman, Sue Hubble, and it's, it's called A Year with Bees and she's in the Ozarks. Her quote is that when you take somebody to see the bees for the first time, you take a, a lawn chair, a beer, and a shot of scotch. <laughs> and the idea is that when you get them out there, you sit them down in the chair for 10 or 15 minutes while they drink their beer. So they can just calm down mm-hmm. and just watch and not be all excited and like, ah, oh, this is so amazing. Ah, just kind of, whew, just yeah. calm down. Just chill out. And the bees will sense it. It's, it sounds really hokey, but it's true. And then when they're sort of nice and calm, then you give them the scotch so that they're really calm. <laughs> and then you start the process, right? And then you go and you show them yeah. and, and show them what needs to be done. Yeah, so what do you do with the students? Just we just get them out there and <laughs> smile a lot and take a lot of pictures and, and yeah. get, get all like the great pictures when you can put some honey on a student's finger oh. and they can actually like they can sit with a, a bee that far away from them like they got a glove on but they can it's watch incredible. like the tongue come out and them harvesting that connection the with nature yeah. is missing in yeah. so many people's lives yeah like to be able to offer a day when when people in the community could come in yeah. and like adults could experience bees for the first time yeah. if they wanted to you could offer a workshop i don't yeah. know i'm just throwing all these well, ideas we, to yeah, add like more we, work to we, your life yeah. again sort of in in house we we offer uh, a parents called it's called through the red doors yeah so it's a day where parents can come in and like take a physics class do right. a math class yeah. do a oe class do you know, and we'll take them out to the bees. Um, if we've done it before, when maple syrup's on, I'll take them down to the sugar shack, yeah. that sort of thing. So we offer again. We sort of it's right now. It's at an in-house level, but there is there are tons of resources out in the community and tons of groups that will gladly take people in to see so beekeeping. Cool. So, yeah. you know, we yeah. kind of we kind of push people down to like um, we are some big suppliers, Dancing Bee, um, and uh, Sutherland Co-op, and both of them offer courses all the time for That's people great. that want to. Yeah, connect with the real world. Yeah. I mean, this is the real world. Yeah. This is this is nature. This is the real world. And it's a lot of fun, too. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's wonderful. Cool. That's all I got. Okay, that's great. Thanks. I will, uh... <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Lakefield College School is a private high school in Lakefield, Ontario. If you'd like to learn more, you can head over to their website, lcs.on.ca, or find them on social media at LakefieldCS. And you can find me on Instagram at Elspeth Callahan. 
If you'd like to contact the show, you can leave a comment on your listening platform. And remember to like, subscribe, rate, and review the episode. A little goes a long way to help keep this podcast going. Have a great week, everyone, and talk to you soon. Bye.